This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. When Bridgerton came out and it was like a huge success, like I thought Betsy was going to like die. <laughs> like there was just a moment when I was like, she was just like, dear God, what are we going to do? Not because she wasn't excited about all the work that was put in, not because she wasn't thrilled about like all of the things that had gone on, but because it was a lot of work getting it to where it was. Yeah. And season two means we have to do it again. Right. Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast. In this special episode, we're winding down with a really awesome conversation. Our first season is going to come to a close with executive producers Shonda Rhimes and Betsy Beers. So tucked inside of Shonda's home, across from each other at this grand, beautiful table, the storytelling duo talk about how they rolled up their sleeves on the Bridgerton universe and pushed the limits of their creative partnership yet again. Over the last year, these two powerhouses shared notes and got into editing all over video conferencing. Hi, Shonda. Hi, Betsy. How are you? I'm just fine. We're very excited because we are actually in the same room for the first time since the pandemic began. Literally, the last time I saw Shonda in person was March 13th, Friday the 13th, 2020. Oh, my gosh. And we were both like, okay, see you in two weeks. That's never happened for us before. It's, so it's been... A year and forever. It's been such a long time. And I think the longest we've gone before this is like maybe a month, like if that. So, but I think we've gotten actually strangely adapted um, the Zooming screen world. Yes. Although I've got to say, it's great to see your head attached to your body. I know. It's nice. And it's nice for me because Betsy generally only like sort of leans off to one side. So I just see like one eyeball or something. So now I can see like her whole face and it never freezes or anything. And you know what else we did absolutely totally um, in the pandemic, of course, was we edited all of Bridgerton season one. Which is frankly what got us through the pandemic. Right. That's what made the pandemic not so traumatically horrible. I mean, it was traumatically horrible no matter what, but it took some of the sting off of it. Exactly. Because just when you thought like life couldn't get any worse, you got to see an episode of Bridgerton. This sort of normalcy of going through the editing process, which for y'all who have followed shows with Shondaland for years, is a gigantic part of yes. the fun of the, the job. job. And it's, you know, one of Shonda's many genius points. 
we've got great composers and great editors and a great head of post. And so it was this weird way of normalizing our life because everybody would sort of get together and give notes and exchange experiences in terms of watching the cut. But we were doing it remotely. It just made us feel a little less remote. Yeah. And the editing room is really like the real like the final stage of storytelling, like the yeah. real rewrite. And so it felt like we were at least getting to tell some story. So that was good. Which was really, really fun. And I could have snacks and nobody could see. That's true. And I could do it all in my pajamas. Exactly. Okay, so I believe last time I checked, this is a podcast about Bridgerton. It is about Bridgerton. Okay, see, well, I think then maybe, don't you think we should start at the beginning? And by that, I don't mean 1814. Although I might have been alive in 1814. <laughs> Let, yes, let's talk about, okay, let's talk about Bridgerton. Let's talk origin story of Bridgerton. Origins of Bridgerton. Yeah. That sounds like a song. The yes, origins, origins of Bridgerton. Bridgerton. So I was sick or I was in a hotel somewhere. I can yes. never remember exactly. And I read the first Bridgerton book, The Duke and I, by Julia Quinn. And I'm not a person who'd read romance novels. I was not a person who was into romance novels. I didn't know much about them, but there was a book there and I needed to read something and I read it. And I immediately went out and bought like the rest of them because it was a fabulous read. I was very involved, invested, super impressed. And then I was like, Betsy, care a bunch of romance novels. I thought you'd hit your head. Yeah, she did. She thought I'd been in a strange accident in the hotel room. She thought something was wrong with me. Yeah. There are these books and I think they would make an amazing show. You know, it, it's funny because it was exactly the same experience as you described. Is I think I was initially skeptical because I wasn't familiar with the series. As a kid and actually as a young teen, I did read romance novels. So it was a genre that ages ago I was familiar with, but I certainly had not dipped into the world of period romance. That's what I mean. Like we all read like the bigger, like oh, the yes. 1980s, everyone's shoulder pads were huge and they yes. all wore diamonds. Some of our favorites, by the way. Yes, by the way, truly. But... The the period romance novels, I mean, if it wasn't Jane Austen, I didn't really know about it. Exactly. And, I mean, I'm not going to diss Jane Austen. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> she might get upset. <laughs> she might, she <laughs> might roll over her <laughs> in the grave and come out. <laughs> exactly. But it was so much juicier than Jane Austen in terms of what it offered because it gave a, just a different look at that world. Less controlled, less proper, because it was written by somebody, by a modern woman versus being written by a woman who was like stuck in the constraints of the age. Oh, without a doubt. And also, I think the thing I found, you know, immediately amazing was number one, that I'd never seen this side of Regency England before, because in fact, the ton exists or existed, Mayfair existed. And this whole idea that Jane Austen, who lives in this very sort of pastoral society mm -hmm. where everybody's in sort of, oh, you know, um, I would say darker, maroonish, grayish, brownish tones in my head. You know, yes. it's the world is a little muted. It's been more time in, in chapels and churches. And with large pieces of grass swinging as they walk. They recycle their dresses more. This was this amazing world of luxury and excess and this sort of much more transportive world in a strange way for me. Yes. And there was this incredibly crazy device of this gossip columnist who was essentially pulling the strings of everybody in the world, which as a concept was so cool. It really was. It worked really, really nicely. And then the icing on the cake was the mother who has thousands of children, all of whom need to get married and all of whom she would like to marry for love in a world in which that is not the ruling concept. I mean, let's be clear. Julia Quinn's no dummy. She really did build in like a perfect 
series. Like nobody marries for love back then. It was really smart of her to come up with a world in which that concept existed. And for us to get to play with it was fabulous. Because it's the same family at the core of it for so many books, you become attached to that family in a way that very often, you know, at least in my experience with romance novels, they were one-offs, you know, or they would be by the same author or, and they'd have certain similarities in terms of storytelling, but they didn't necessarily have this format, which honestly felt a lot like a show. A community where you could come back to people again and again and check in on their storylines. And you're right, very much like a show. All the while having a new story at the center of every book. Which was awesome. Which is incredible. And a closed-ended one, which I was excited about because you have to allow people happy endings, which was great. Yeah, which I think we've rarely had that opportunity. I was thrilled at that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, like I I was always like, if you want to use them up and there are no more happy endings to give, like, and no more ways to twist and turn them. Somebody has to die or something. I don't know. (laughs) You don't have to kill anybody. It's amazing. I mean, this is obviously not the first time we've had source material. Right. Because we've done this in different ways. I mean, Judy Smith was her own sort of source material. Certainly when you did Scandal, Olivia Pope was inspired by a real life person. Yeah. Completely inspired by her job and her world. But it's very different than having books. I mean, for that sort of world, I got to have someone's job and everything that they did be... Um, sort of the minutiae and the fodder for what I was building on. But this really, you know, required so much more. I mean, not only were we trying to be sort of historically accurate with that, but we had these books that did lay out a very clear map of where we were going. And there are a couple of ways you can approach that. You can approach it where you're going to be exact and go like right along with the book. You know, something, you know, there's some books that you really feel like you have to do that. And then there's the world in which you can sort of go, this is a jumping off point. And I think we chose somewhere in between, really. Yeah, I agree. It was great to get to do this with her books, too, because she's so enthusiastic about the series and was so on board and so supportive. And I mean, I don't know if any of you like saw her Instagram while this was being made, but she could not have been more exuberant and more on board and more of a cheerleader for what we were doing, which was so great. Oh, and available you know, for absolutely everything, which is, you know, no mean feat when you're actually in charge or you're you're running your own empire of literature. Yeah. She could not be more delightful. And she was super supportive of all the actors and quite a force of nature. So it was great to be able to also have her as this constant resource. Mm-hmm. And this constant sort of place to go back. And we also were lucky because we had and continue to have great consultants, both for the manners of the time, but, you know, everything from the dancing to how people sit, how people stand. I thought that was fascinating. Right. The idea that all of those little pieces were existing and we're sort of building that world. We'll be right back. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. 
you have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, you're listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Shonda Rhimes, sitting with Betsy Beers, and we're talking about all things Bridgerton. For both of us, this was a very different kind of producing job because it was the, one of the first times we were both getting to work on a project together at the same time. Yep. Now, generally, obviously, everybody always assumes that we're always working on a project together at the same time. And usually we are, but that's when I'm writing the series or creating the series. But when I'm not, a lot of work falls to Betsy. And then I sort of pop in at, you know, key moments to help out or whenever Betsy says, like, come over here and look at this because I'm busy working on another series. What was great about coming to Netflix was that we had time now to really do the thing that we enjoy doing the most, which is work together. That's right. That's absolutely right. Don't you think? And so we got to do this in a way that was much more hands on for both of us. So like even building the story, like people always say, like, I hear everything from this feels very Shondaland to this feels very new for Shondaland, which always cracks me up because that doesn't make any sense. But I think it's because they think of Shondaland as having tropes in terms of our stories. Oh, without like a doubt. Absolutely. Love triangles or the OMG moments or whatever that make up our stories. And you and I talk about this a lot. Like what actually makes up our stories are character and emotional moments and putting in things that you always call putting people in impossible situations and seeing how they're going to get out of it, but also just making characters that we want to watch. Yep. That's like our big rule, people. If you are a writer, just write characters that you want to watch. I totally agree. And I also think, you know, the second rule is people always say, well, what makes a show that you want to be your next show? And I always say the same thing, which is something we really want to watch and something we haven't done before in some form or another, you know, it's, and somebody the other day was sort of like, well, what, how do you make a hit? It's the craziest question in the world because you can only make something that you really like and you hope other people like it. The way not to make a hit is to try to make the thing that you made before again in a different way. Exactly. Like if we were like, let's do Bridgerton, but in Georgian English, I don't know, whatever. It's just not going to work. It's like, look, it's the same template, which goes back to the tropes. Yes. And I think sometimes people are surprised when the trope is not there. Another thing pops up, they like, and it becomes a trope. Right, it's not a trope. It just gets popular, and then suddenly it's a trope. It's very exhausting. As you can tell, I don't love the word trope. We don't love the word trope, and I'm also just going to say the idea of always having to say a woman is strong. Strong, smart women. Strong, smart women. The other phrase, personally, I really hate is things like you go girl moments. 
Oh, OMG moments and you go girl moments are the phrases that really hurt my brain the most. Oh, wait a second. Wait, I forgot about one. The word likable. Oh. I really, really have an issue with the word likable. That note is a note that we've been getting for 18 years now. At, at some point in time, somebody gives us the note that like- It's always about women. Nobody ever asks, asks us if a man could be more likable. No. Nobody ever asked me if Cyrus Bean could be more likable. No. Not once. But Olivia Pope murders one person with a chair and people are like, can she be more likable? <laughs> she only killed one person. Just one. No. But seriously, seriously, everybody, there's always a moment somewhere where somebody looks at some, one of the female characters and goes, she doesn't seem very likable. And I think that's just the craziest thing. It's, uh, yeah, it really rubs me the wrong way. Let's just put that in. By the way, everybody knows it now because if the word comes out, like, I think essentially if you can hear fire. Fire shoots out of your ears. But since when is likable a goal? Like, that is not a goal of a thing to be. That's like saying, can you be bland? Can you be, like, just blah? I don't know. Like, why is likable a thing? One of the things I've always loved about the way you tell stories is that idea of like being likable, being likable, being likable. And the great thing about actually investing in a show is you earn the right to get to know people because like life, we meet people and you see one thing and you you think about somebody one way when you see them. And then as you get to know them, these other aspects of this person pop out. And first season of Grace, second season of Grace. I remember the example I always used to give us Addison. When we first meet Addison, everybody hated Addison. And poor Kate Walsh, I sent into a store once to pick up some clothes because I thought she liked the store. And they ran her out of the store because she'd been, quote unquote, so mean to Meredith. And there's this one episode where Meredith is tending to a very grouchy woman at the hospital who's heard the scuttlebutt about the fact that Meredith stole Addison's husband Mm -hmm. and doesn't want to be treated by Meredith. And Addison stands up for her. And... I say that like I didn't know the show. I'll never (laughs) forget. It's a little show. It's called Grey's Anatomy. You might be familiar with it. Check it out. But it was this amazing moment where everybody's opinion of Addison changed. And I can point to things throughout everything you've written, everything that we've produced. There's a moment like that with Lady Featherington that I really love. Without a doubt. You know, that moment. And I don't know if other people took it the same way I did, but the moment when she takes her niece down to the horrible neighborhood and stands her there and says, do you want to end up like this? Like, this is what your future will be. I like for me, I completely had a different opinion of that woman and felt for her in a very different way. It's the same as like when her husband yells at her, like you realize that no one's ever really seen her and that she married that mean man so that she didn't end up standing in some dirty, poor street. Like, this is her life. You feel the trauma of that. Like, I suddenly was like, oh, this poor lady. That's exactly right. And it's the same in a weird way you look at Marina's dilemma. I, well, I always found her likable, I by always the way. Found her too, but I've had these conversations. I had one recently where somebody's like, wow, that really seems like it's a hard thing to sympathize with. Then they got to the end of the series and they thought, oh, wait a second. You go through the dark night of the soul with her yeah. to the degree that you really understand what's fueling her. And that's the fun of these sorts of stories. It's, it's Simon in the beginning. When you meet him, you think this guy's got a stick up his butt. He's arrogant. And then <laughs> yeah. you figure out more about his childhood and you understand it informs the way you look at people the same way as you get yes. to know people in life, which is why we hate the word likable. Okay. Yes. Don't use it. Don't use it. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm Betsy Beers, and I'm talking to Shonda Rhimes about all things Bridgerton. Penelope's is really awesome. And the friendship between Lady Danbury and Queen Charlotte's amazing. One of the questions that we get a lot is why are these friendships so enviable and such like, once again, part of the Shondaland style of storytelling? I almost never have an answer to this because I don't think that just like we were just talking about, we're revealing character. We don't consider it a style. We consider it reality. They're born from our experiences. If you're talking about Regency England, if you're talking about 21st century, these are women that we know. They're realistic three-dimensional women. Like, I'm always surprised when people are like, these friendships are so amazing. And I'm like, they just seem like the friendships I have with people. Exactly. So it's almost like the same way I'm frustrated by the diversity question. Like, yeah. 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 How do you make their shows so diverse? Well, I'm making the world look like the world that I know. Exactly. These are the kinds of friendships that I know. And so we're writing them. I know what you mean, because one of the things initially that when we first started talking about story in general years ago was that you rarely see on screen a depiction of what a real friendship is. And a real friendship is tricky. A real friendship is hard. A real friendship is wonderful and terrific. Right. If a friendship lasts, it's because you go through pills and valleys. It's not a simple road. And I think one of the things that's realistic, but also profound to me is very often the show's about friendships that last. Mm. And I think it's an examination of why do those friendships last? And I talk about this all the time, and we talk about this all the time, is what continues to make a friend in any kind of relationship. You know, it's what makes a bond continue and what makes you not be able to bear that person anymore. I think we do, on a lot of our shows, try to explore the complex nature of what makes a friend a friend. I mean, we've worked together forever as partners and doing this for so long. And in a lot of ways, all of the things that you're saying are what make our producing partnership so successful. We have the relationship, I think, that people think that these friends have on the shows. Yes. Because it's very complex and it goes through its hills and valleys and we fight it out and we, you know, all those things that happen. 
that make it possible for us to work together so successfully, I think. That's always this touchstone you go back to, which is we're, we're informing it with our own experience. We do the work. Like, I think that there's work involved in forming a good business partnership and making sure that on top of the friendship part of it, that you're putting in the work together to make sure that everybody's both doing their part and feeling their part being done and appreciated and stuff. And we've grown so much, I think, in all of these years together over it. And I think as working professional women, I think that is a thing that I always want to sort of put out there. Like, it's not simple. It's work. I totally agree with that. I don't think you see many long-term female partnerships out in the world that you can actually reference. And that's been said to me a couple of times. And I kind of think about it. I go, wow, you said something at one point, which is like, we were really dedicated to when everything's got really hard. We're both perfectionists Mm -hmm. and we're both incredibly fundamentally competitive people. Yes. And what that does is it means even at points where things have been difficult or we've been having hard times, the thing which always keeps us going is the work. Yeah. The idea of making sure that the work is the best of us. It's really important for it to be out there that because you don't see this very much, you can be two women who work for a long time together, who are successful, who can serve both different roles and support each other and succeed. And we've learned, you know, like I think we used to joke, like we decided that, you know, only one of us can be crazy at a time, but that's not true, really. Yeah, we're, we're both crazy at the same time, often all the time. And we both want to quit often all the time at the same time. But the reality of it is, is what I feel like we've learned, especially during this pandemic year as producer is we have to make an effort to connect. Yes. So like in a weird way, the, the times I feel craziest and the times I most want to quit, I'm like, well, poor Betsy's about to get a phone call and we're, to, we're about to hear all this crap. I feel like I have a luxury that a lot of people don't. I have somebody to talk all of this stuff out with and discuss all of the problems with. And Betsy's as interested and as willing to go through the minutia of every Bridgerton angle there is oh, as I am. With pleasure. So that we can solve whatever the problems are. Years and years and years ago, this is like ages ago, I remember very early on, I couldn't sleep, which is a big thing, I think, for both of us when something work-wise is really bothering us. Independently, the next day, I'll say, God, I had a really hard time sleeping. And you'll go, God, that's really weird. I was up thinking about X, Y, and Z. I developed this thing in my head called, Shonda, I think, actually coined it, the barking dog, mm-hmm. which is which is ironic because I love dogs and that's no slight on the dog. The dog is warning me of something. But the idea that there's a barking dog and I know vaguely what it's about, but I don't quite know what it is yet, but I have to express my anxiety. And initially I remember you sort of going, "Mm, what's that about? And then the thing happened. Yes. And we both looked at each other and went, okay, from now on rule, rule, we're going to pay attention. Anytime you say barking dog, we're not allowed to make fun of the other person. We're just going to listen. And that strangely has been this other thing, which it sounds sort of negative as I'm talking about it, but it's not. No, it solves problems before they happen. Which is one of Shauna's big things, just so you all know, is, is how do you get ahead of something? Because I don't know if you know this, but a few times in our careers, we were a little behind. And we don't like that. We don't like that at all. So I think the whole kind of concept of being able to actually really view as realistically as possible what the landscape is, what is coming at you. Still staying open for changes and how things might pivot, but being prepared, certainly as a producer and as somebody who's responsible for for content, which is, you know, essentially what we're talking about here. I think it's just a key. Every time you kind of close your eyes and hide under the covers, it's going to start barking at you. That's kind of like the definition of like what 
being a producer, a good producer is. Just that. That's that's what being a good producer is. Frankly, I think that's that's absolutely right. What are big parts of our jobs that you think people don't think that we do in terms of like being a producer? Hmm. Obviously, we find the material and we find the writer and we work on the story and development. And there's tons of notes and scripts and shaping and there's casting, which I think we always think of as the fun part. Yeah. But like like the thing I don't know if you guys know, but Betsy is like what I call the music guru in terms of like she can help figure out what the score should feel like for anything. She'll always know when it's right or when it's wrong. She'll help you find the right song. She'll help you find the right tone she can put into words the way music should be to a composer and she speaks composer in a way that's really lovely you do costumes really like really well like betsy's been maybe it's different maybe it's show to show but like i did i did a lot of the costumes on scandal but like the costumes on bridgerton are insane and that's like a full-time job and betsy worked with the costume team for costumes on bridgerton i don't even know how you did that and did all the other stuff you had to do so one of the things when I first met Shonda, she'd never edited a show before. And I'm going to say I was pretty good. I mean, I was pretty good. I'd been in some editing rooms in my time and I was pretty freaking cocky about that shit. How pissed was I when she comes in and like in 10 minutes figures out absolutely and totally the best way to tell her story in the editing room with literally like no training. We had a great editor, but literally probably the most brilliant person in editing I have ever seen. And that includes, you know, a a slightly failing but interesting career in the movies. So, but really, really impressive in terms of, and also, by the way, just as we're saying this, no mean shakes in the music department, because when you look at something like Scandal, from the moment she listened to Scandal, she saw Scandal, she knew exactly what she wanted that music to sound like. So we collaborate a lot on that. I'm going to be fair about that because you're you tend to have very very strong feelings very often about what we call needle drops or the songs that you guys hear playing in the back of things well what i think is funny is either i have very strong feelings or i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) and so it's this very vague like oh like literally kind of moment where betsy's like well what if we tried this and what if we tried this and what if we tried this and i'm like please just take it and go (laughs) like just go make it something well the great thing is you know immediately we recently were working on something and I had an idea and I thought it was just the best idea in best town and we put it in and she was the first one to go, yeah, I get the theory behind this, but this blows. I mean, so that's the good part too. We can actually really kind of dig into. The other thing though is like, for instance, the music on Bridgerton, the way, like the choice to do those, the the songs and stuff the way you guys did, that was just genius. Like that was something that I would never have thought of, wouldn't have done and worked beautifully. And that was an early idea actually, because when we first started talking about the show, I remembered that I'd heard a group years ago that basically did this thing where they took, they took a flamenco style music and they put current songs and played it in flamenco style music. And I remember talking to you and sort of saying, what if we actually figured out a way to take current songs that people would recognize, but play them as though they're from the period. I think one of the things we've talked about a lot with Bridgerton is the idea that we wanted it to feel of the period and not take you out of the period, but give you enough modern elements that you could relate to it without it hitting you over the head. And I think that the music is one part of it. The slightly larger than life costumes is part of it. The color scheme is part of it. Certain aspects of the dialogue is certainly part of it, too. Yeah. You know, I think all of these different ways and our approach, certainly, to the world of Bridgerton. Yes. The people we cast in Bridgerton and the fact that it's a more inclusive view of 1814. All of these should be ways that don't 
pull you out of watching the show and make you go, oh, look, it's modern, but simply say, wow, I'm really engaged in this. And isn't it amazing that this kind of thing might have been possible in 1814? So, you know, the music certainly, I think, grew out of that, too, as did the idea of hiring Chris Bowers to do the score, who was a genius, who's a total genius we worked with on one show before. And one of the things we said to him really early on is we same thing is we need it to feel like it's of the period, but we need there to be elements about it that whether you realize it or not, are pulling you into current day that make it more likely for you to be able to connect to these situations in a very modern way. That's a really great way of putting it. Like the whole approach to the show is how do we take Regency England romance and make it both modern, but not mocking. This is a really interesting one because this really came from you initially as a passion project, you know, something Mm -hmm. that you loved. And because I think the inception was so much your passion for this, you were so invested in it from the beginning. Yeah. Even though you did not pen the script. It was so much about feeling as though we were both in it 100% from the moment it all started. And the other odd thing for us is when we've done network series together, usually the series shot in Los Angeles. Right. So there was a physical fluidity there where we could, you know, sort of see each other. But honestly, for years, you were, you know, as you said, you were working incredibly hard to keep scripts coming out in time so that we could actually get shows on the air. And with the Netflix model, which you all know, obviously, because we all binge watch, you tend to have a body of work and then you film that. And what this sort of did for us was on one hand, we'd never actually had a situation where one of us had to go to a country constantly and the other one was here and it didn't matter. Right. Because we were actually working so closely together on it that the traveling was the least of it. You know, it was, I thought initially when we first started going, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go to England. And Shauna used to listen to me coming and go, I'm going to be gone for like 10 days. What's this going to be like? Even though I've been to England for it, I love it. You just England. gotten crotchety about traveling. I just, I was just, I just was like, yeah, I was just old and bitched out about it, but had a delightful time. But this has been from, for every single step of the way, it's just from everything from inception to casting to costumes, costumes to the way, you know, the sets look to every, Shonda's just, it's been really, really fun to do what we did when we first started. It's been really fun because it is building a world that we're both really excited about. Yes. I don't know if you all heard this, but we're making more. So yeah. Um, <laughs> when Bridgerton came out and it was like a huge success, like I thought Betsy was going to like die. Like there was just a moment when I was like, she was just like, dear God, what are we going to do? Not because she wasn't excited about all the work that was put in, not because she wasn't thrilled about like all of the things that had gone on, but because it was a lot of work getting it to where it was. Yeah. And season two means we have to do it again. Right. The first thing I shared with you was a hint of terror and despair at the idea of the the largeness of the expectation which was ahead of us. And we also have this thing where we make these shows and we think like, well, this one will be the one that nobody pays that much attention to. And then it's never that way. I mean, and yes, we're very lucky that it's never that way. But (laughs) this is a very loud, noisy hit that then we have to recreate. Yeah. And figure out ways to let it grow, yet sustain what is great about it. Everybody wants to hear like, oh, it just danced in the streets and skipped in the rain. But the reality of it is, is we understand the work that goes into making these shows. And then because we are perfectionists who like to do everything right, the work that's ahead of us in the future, when I'm feeling that way or when Betsy's feeling that way, those are the moments when I feel like we are best together. We do manage to sort of help each other find a way through. I think, I think without a doubt. Or we just sit down and just start drinking together, sadly. <laughs> just, but either way, it works. 
They're both different coping mechanisms, but I think they're both incredibly effective depending on the time of day. Thanks to a lot of people watching, we definitely have the opportunity to keep building this little universe, which we're excited about. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. It's really, I just got to say, it's like really, really fun. It's more fun than I've had in years, probably in some ways. I don't know. It's been great. So that's the sappy chunk. Shonda, this has been a delight. Betsy's been amazing talking to you. It's been a delight sharing our stories with all of you. And we can hardly wait to see you on the other side with Bridgerton Season 2. Season 2. Thank you again to Shonda Rhimes and Betsy Beers for being here with us. And thank you, listeners, for returning to Bridgerton, the official podcast. And we hope that you will return again because we've got more coming your way. We've got more from Shonda and Betsy, actually. They're going to be answering all of those questions that you sent in to us over the last two weeks. And you've got to come back for a one last round with writers Jess Brownell, Annabelle Hood, and Dr. Hannah Gregg, Bridgerton's historian, so that we can talk about Bridgerton, the universe, all of it that it meant to us. And looking forward, of course, to season two, three, and four. Hello. So make sure you come back and join us. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is executive produced by Lauren Homan, Sandy Bailey, Holly Fry, and me, Gabrielle Collins. Our producer is Chris Van Dusen, and our producer editor is Vincent Dejani. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.